Hi, I'm Elliot Charles and this is Speaks Louder Than Words. Whilst you may not recognise Dan Carey's name, you'll definitely know some of the music he's worked on. From indie rock bands like Toy and Franz Ferdinand, to electropop acts like Chairlift, to Mercury-nominated artists such as Kate Tempest, to pop chart toppers like Kylie Minogue, Dan Carey has produced and written for a vast array of artists. I was lucky enough to go to Dan's studio in southwest London to talk about his record label, Speedy Wonderground, the music he's worked on, gadgets and instruments that he has in his studio, as well as his work on one of my favourite albums of all time. If you want to find out more about Warner Chapel, you can follow us on Twitter at Warner underscore Chapel and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Warner Chapel. Chapel is, of course, spelt with two P's and two L's. And if you're so inclined, you can leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. We'd love to know what you think. Well, that's enough from me. I'll leave you with my interview with Dan Carey. I find it a bit weird when one person's wearing <laughs> yeah. headphones and the other one isn't. Sorry. Yeah, I don't like headphones. What, just to... I don't, I don't like using headphones when I'm recording. Really? Just because you don't like the, the closeness of the sound, or...? Well, no, just because it isolates people. Okay. I think it's quite nice if if everyone hears yeah. the same thing in the room. Cool. So, I'm assuming, because we are in just one room all of the, the mixing gear and the recorders and everything and all the instruments so you just do everything in the one room there's no separation between live and no. control wow so, well it, again for that same reason of not i don't like being kind of divided from other people so i think it's nice if everyone's always in the same room so it slows things down a bit you have to you know from recording a whole a live mm. setup have to record a bit and then stop and play it back i can't yeah. get the sounds whilst it's happening but i find it's rare you can do that anyway even when there is a separation because like the kick drum always comes through the wall anyway so yeah you can't really be sure until you're playing it back there's always something that you need to double check and, yeah. and go back and fix but um and it's also because i spend a lot of time on my own in here so right. if i had to go through doors <laughs> and just <laughs> play the drums it would just take ages yeah so a lot of the recording you do is is it just you or um sometimes you know if i'm working on stuff that that i'm writing or often i'll be working with someone with one other person but i'll end up playing a lot of the instruments yeah it, cool. you know if i'm working with a singer who we're writing together i'll put down the parts how did you and forgive me if this is a stupid question but how did you kind of start collecting all of this wonderful equipment because it's for people that can't see this this i feel sorry for you basically (laughs) because you are missing out on a treat because this place is fantastic it's just a vast collection of wonderful old and new gear in in one room i started with a space echo okay my uncle lent me a space echo when i was really young and you know i'd got hold of a couple of uh two-track reel-to-reel recorders and just recorded from one onto the other through the echo and just made the most echoey (laughs) recordings I could. Brilliant. And then, you know, that was just with a guitar. And I suppose, I think since, you know, I was only, I can't remember how old I was, but, you know, very young. And since I've never got rid of anything, the space echo is still there. I Um, I can see it, yeah. um, And uh, I've never got rid of anything. And I just kind of, you know, you know, I'm pretty old. <laughs> I've accumulated a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, it's it's quite the the array of stuff. And Thirty drums. years of pedals and wow. From a technical point of view, you prefer older gear. Is, would that be correct, or is there something about not, it that? Not necessarily. Um, I find certain things that old amps, old guitars, um, seem to have been played in and just mm. sound um, nicer. But I tend to go for, you know, outboard gear, recording gear. I think I prefer, I'm just looking at the racks. It's mainly new gear. Yeah. Um, I don't know, sometimes, well, I guess they get a bit crackly when they get old. That can be annoying. Okay. Maybe they sound better. I don't know. I've got some old compressors and things, but... Only time will tell, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whether, whether these things age particularly well yeah. or not. Yeah, it's, it's certainly impressive. What, what about microphones? Do you find old microphones have... Uh, certain sound or is it yeah although again generally i like old start i like ribbon microphones but i've kind of it seems to be the new ones that that work better for me mm. um and yeah no i'd say new mics actually okay and the the brawner is oh yeah definitely my favorite mic <laughs> ever really um, yeah i love it so the speedy wonderground project of the singles mm. and, and all of those there's if you go on the speedy underground website there's your rules for recording yeah your, your setup of of parameters do you find that you work better with or not better as such but differently with those limitations imposed on you is that yeah i mean it's they're not supposed to be a completely strict set of rules but it's just um a reminder to avoid certain things okay because there are certain traps that it's really easy to fall into which i think um if you you know can make can make a recording worse um not necessarily worse but it turns it it changes it into a different thing so that mm. i mean the obvious one being the length of time you spend on it yeah i mean if you record a song um it's easy to spend days tweaking it, but I don't really think that it gets that much better if you do. And um, so the idea of it all being done in a day is just, I mean, it, you know, if if it comes to it and it has to be slight, if something little thing has to happen the next day, then it's not, I mean, it's never really happened, but if it did, I wouldn't. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's just a reminder to sort of get it done reasonably quickly. Okay. And... You know, the idea of only allowing one overdub per person in the room. That's kind of, again, you know, if someone had to do two, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But it, the point is to not get lost in sort of tracking and tracking and overdubbing yeah. loads of faff, unnecessary okay. stuff, you know, just play it and then that's done. Do you find that that can be a problem sometimes in other recordings that aren't for speedy? Well, not necessarily a problem, but... um. It, I think sometimes I've noticed that in myself, I sometimes have a tendency to get really excited about production techniques and recording techniques and get into things in a really detailed way. When actually, it would have, it, it's better to just concentrate on the song and get the recording done quite simply. Mm. You know, I've spent days kind of climbing around old buildings trying to find a good place to do a hand clap. 
but they're not really focusing on the fact that the song isn't quite good enough to record. You know, <laughs> so I think um, it's to to avoid that sort of stuff. You know, just yeah, you know, get the song sorted out and record it while it's still exciting, and mm. don't get dragged into any of that. Which is fun, all that stuff, and so there's a time and a place for it. But do you find that? you run up against limitations anyway with regards to technology like do you do you find that you have ideas for things or particular sounds that you want to hear that you just can't recreate because there are technological limits or do you mean in term, in in a speedy underground situation in, or just in any kind of situation in any because it's kind of i was thinking about this the other day that there is so much musical technology around now there's so many plugins and all this wonderful old gear from the 60s that you can combine in various ways to create seemingly any kind of sound but there must be something out there that someone can imagine or hear in their head and not be able to recreate because of technical limits i'm sure there is i mean i think the way that you imagine sound is largely to do with sounds that you have heard or at least you can I think the process of imagining a sound relies partly on knowing about sound and sound that you've heard so I mean I mean you can do such a lot with I mean I can generally I can generally with a synth I can come fairly close to most things that I can imagine um there's certain things that I've been trying to do you know that technique in films time slice photography yes. you know where you have lots of cameras and they take a picture at the same time yeah and then you run through i've been trying to recreate that in sound and i've been thinking about that for years but i can't i can't get it and i don't even know what it would sound like you see yeah. it's just an idea and i think often you know with filtering and with colors and saturation and brightness you can sort of you can there's an analogy in sound mm. i can look at a dark photograph and think how to you know there's i can work out how to make a guitar sound like that and then look yeah. at something bright and colorful you know but that time slice thing i can't i've tried getting lots of mics and recording a sound as it travels yeah. and then putting them shifting them in time so they come back to them that doesn't really what about a kind of doppler effect you know yeah i've tried that I've tried swinging mics from Long, very long cables. Um, Not like in a circle like a lasso or anything? Yeah, I've tried that. <laughs> wow. How did that sound? Windy. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's talk about your, your body of work. Because uh, in preparation for this, I've been going through your catalogue and just kind of looking at all the credits that you've got on various records. And what kind of stands out to me is the vast array of genres that you've kind of worked with everything from like really chart topping pop like Kylie Minogue and electro indie pop like Chairlift bands like Franz Ferdinand Toy singer songwriter stuff like the Emiliano Torini records mm. there's a vast well not a vast difference but there's a lot of different genres in there. Is that something you've kind of sh strived to do, like to work in as many different fields as you can? Or Not particularly. I mean, it, it's really funny that you say that because it, to me they don't seem like particularly different styles of music. I mean, I know they 
sound different, but the the things that I look for or try and bring out or try and create, um, I think are quite consistent. You know, I like you know interesting chord sequences, interesting mm. rhythms, and good lyrics, and like all of those things. To me, they're just you know some have more drums on, some have more guitars on, but really. Um, yeah, uh, and you know, kind of sonics as well. The sa- yeah, but I mean, yeah. If I ever find myself working on something that doesn't fit my sort of yeah. idea of what good music is, it doesn't have to have all of those things. But if it doesn't have any of them, or it's got something wrong, then I just stop working on it. So, to me, they um, that that list of hmm. things that you just mentioned, um, it's fair. They they all kind of sit in a straight line okay. as far as I can see it but I, don't, no. I know that sounds weird because um, no I, I, I understand that there is because there are certain things that you look for in a collaborator I'm assuming mm. and, and like you said interesting chord sequences good lyrics and if those are the things you look for in a project then those are the things you are going to find in the projects that you work on yeah and so they will line up yeah but, and I think it, I mean that, that I think that's but I think to a casual listener on the face of it yeah they're different um but i mean i can tell um i can tell that it that they're consistent because i often when i'm working with someone um you know i always spend time outside the studio and um i like to play the people that i really trust who i'm working with i like to play them other stuff that i'm working on and so um you know, when I was working with Toy, I played them the stuff I was doing with Emiliano Torini, and you know they loved it. Mm. And that it, I, I know that if if I play someone that I really respect, something else that I'm working on, they don't like it. I know that there's there's something that doesn't add up. Okay. So In- that's another reason why I think they're all part of the same. That's why I can I can quite easily think of collaborations. You know, for the Speedy Wonderground records mm. um uh you know like getting steve mason and Emiliana yeah. and toy together might might not be an obvious no but thing to me to do, but. when i first had a look at the cover of that single or actually no i read about it online i thought well Emiliana torini and toy and steve mason all together on yeah one it sounds record. mad but it wouldn't be a collaboration that i would kind of put together mm. in my head but that record's just brilliant it's the first speedy underground single and it's just it's great mm. well i think that's what yeah that's what i mean so. Mm. so what what do you look for in a collaboration so if if you were to work with someone what would you i think increasingly the thing that i think is that they i want to work with people who've got something to say with the lyrics i think that writing a song when you don't have anything in particular that you want to get across is I don't like it (laughs) (laughs) you know and it kind of um I'm talking about a collaboration where I'm writing with someone yeah um you know I you know say with somebody with like Emiliana um or with Kate Tempest Mm. when we sit down and, and write a song it's because it they need to get that song written yeah and um and that and it means that there's a whole purpose to the the process you know you yeah. d- you're 
I hate the I, I hate the moment. Sometimes I've, I've been in situations where I'm, you know, writing a song with someone, and you know we've got an instrumental track sounding good, and then you know, what do you think it should be about? <laughs> I don't like that. I, I, no. I feel that I've wasted time. So it doesn't really happen to me, but it used to happen to me. Yeah. But I now know the the people. You mean you asking how I look, what I look for in a collaborator? So I think I, that's what I look for. I have to be sure that someone who has something to say. Yeah, there's a, there's that. Well, that's that's important to a good song, isn't it? Yeah. It's that urge to kind of say something, to have a point to it. Yeah, and it. Do, I don't mean that it has to be. Doesn't necessarily have to be a, an explicit message. It doesn't have to be a political mm. thing. It doesn't have to be. It's just an. I, I mean, I love lyrics that, you know, strange things that sort of paint a picture and you can't, it's hard to identify what is going on. I don't mind that. I'm not saying that it has to be a, mm. a really simple message, but no. yeah. Okay, so there's that. Um, <laughs> obviously, I like working with really good musicians. You're in an enviable position now where you can, because you're at a level where you if you've, like we were talking about before we started recording Kelly Stoltz, yeah, and you're going to San Francisco to record with him in his studio, and you, from from what I understand from this, you arranged that because you loved his. I work. just loved that record. Yeah, and pestered him a bit, and then when he came over, uh, uh, that must you know, be introduced myself. That must be great to yeah. to be able to do that to kind of find projects and for that to be your your work. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's nice to be able to go off and work with people that mm. you really admire musically and yeah. artistically. Yeah, no, it's nice. So, this might not be a, a, an interest of most podcast listeners, but as I, I said before, we start recording that second chairlift album. <laughs> that is, is one of my all-time favorite records. I, I love it from start to finish. I think it's a almost perfect record. I was wondering if you would kind of give me some insight into how that record kind of came about and how because you co-produced and and mixed yeah something so i'm just trying to think of the, of the sort of sequence of events i'd yeah they had sent me a couple of demos and they came over one morning and uh, we had this nice nice meeting caroline told me afterwards that <laughs> that they loved the studio and they kind of played them some stuff i was working on and they they really like the vibe here. But she said that the thing that sealed it for her is that my shirt was buttoned up the wrong way. <laughs> 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 she thought, yeah, this guy's cool. <laughs> Brilliant. So we um they said, Yeah, let's do it. Um and they they had made most of the demos for the record and they we'd done um so yeah, they they they'd done I think sort of seven or eight of the demos before they came over mm. there were one or two songs that had been written but they hadn't got to demoing and that i mean there patrick and caroline you know absolutely brilliant at, um at, at writing and producing and recording so their demos were were very very good and lots of them we you know rather than treating it as a demo we used that as the template for the track they might have had a you know a drum program that we just you know used to build on and then we mm. Um, we just had a great time going through uh, going through the parts that they because they they came to the studio with quite well formed you know the bass line's going to be like this 
you know there's yeah. going to be this keyboard part and these are the vocals and these are the back you know they they, they weren't they weren't just um sketches they were they were quite detailed right and so we had a really good time uh going through each of the parts and then basically just going through the whole room and just trying out the parts on every you know obviously with some method to it but um we would get into funny conversations and I'd suddenly remember some synth I had out the back, and oh yeah, let's try this, and oh, we wow. set up some fairly strange sounds. I mean, we did all sorts of stuff where on Sidewalk Safari, we found this way of making that kind of rumbly synth mm. at the beginning. We put we put a mic inside an acoustic guitar, and then put it in front of a bass amp, and then played the synth through the amp and mic'd up the sound in the guitar. Wow. Um, yeah, experimented a lot. We had a fair bit of time to do it. Mm. We stayed over here for five weeks or so, so oh, we, wow. it was quite. Yeah, felt like a you know. It's a good length it, of time. It was a good length of time. Yeah, you know what I was talking about before about getting carried away with um kind of funny recording techniques. Yeah, you know, where if the songs aren't there, it's a problem. But when you're mm. confident that the songs are there and the frameworks there and the arrangements are good, that was a really good example. Where it was um it was great to just to push the the sonic side of things as far as we could we did yeah. all the backing vocals in um in the car outside really yeah <laughs> <laughs> we sat, we put a stereo mic in the front of the car and then caroline and patrick sat on the back seat and we just used it as a vocal booth <laughs> i don't know did well it? i do know why it's we start we did it on sidewalk safari because right the whole idea of the song is about being in a car but then we really yes. like the sound of it so we did those of the tracks like that how funny yeah. wow yeah so we we spent we spent a while layering up mm. um, and probably went a little bit past where we needed to go in terms of adding things, you know, every every song we tried, everything we could think of. <laughs> and then and then, th- then had a break from it. Mm. I think we had a break over Christmas. And then it, I went through the recordings and, the, you know, it's like it's after a little gap, it's really easy to... Yeah. Just, oh, no, actually, we don't need that, we don't need that. And A second draft, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Um, but kind of going backwards mm. draft, yeah. Then we mixed it. Yeah. But there's, I mean, the, the main thing about that record is that the songs are so good that you know, there's a, you can, the time that we had to work on the record was all time that we could spend having fun recording things in interesting yeah. ways, and it wasn't time spent trying to sort out the song. You know, in some situations, yeah. you're sorting out the songs because there's something not quite right fundamentally about them, yeah. but they're so good at writing. They're great, great yeah. songs, and it's. I think one of my favourite things about the album is the detail mm. in there, the, the the levels of sound. Yeah, the, the, you're saying that you you felt you went past what you needed to do in terms of layering, but that's one of my favourite parts of it. Is because every time. Oh I no, but yeah, but you didn't hear the versions before we took no, off exactly. the sort of thirty percent extra, and they were just too dense. You yeah, know, so I would quite like to hear. Yeah. that. <laughs> I <would laughs> probably got some rough that. mixes. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, for me, it's because it's one of those records that I go back to every so often and listen to, and I hear something new. Like there is a a synth part or a piece of backing mm. vocal that hasn't quite struck me in a particular way before, and mm. then it's suddenly very apparent. Yeah, to me. and there's always something new about that record whenever yeah. I go back to it. And I, I think, for me personally, that is the sign of a great album. It's just that it keeps on revealing. Yeah, parts. yeah. There's always more to it. So, uh, yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, thank you for for letting me ask about that. <laughs> I've been I've been really looking forward to actually talking about it and kind of getting to getting 
get a little bit of insight on it. So, in terms of producing and and writing, they seem to kind of go hand in hand for you. Yeah. Do you find that you don't often separate out the roles of producer and writer? Does it all just kind of blend into making music? Or well, if I'm doing both, then it blends into one. Yeah. But um, I don't find. I mean, so I don't really. That's not true of bands, you know. If I'm working with a band, I very rarely get involved with writing. Um, that just seems a bit weird. Is it more and just a one-on, one-on-one thing where you're writing with someone? So, like with Emiliana. Yeah, so with Emiliana, um, we split the processes up. We don't, we we don't um, write in the studio. We tend to go away to write and just write with the, with the guitar. We yeah, we sometimes to try and make sure that the songs are solid as songs rather than reliant on arrangements and kind of other stuff. We sometimes go away and write and we don't record it, we just write them down so that, you know, it's kind of going back to the kind of simplest Mm. um, form of the song. So just write down the chord changes and the lyrics and then just hope that we can remember (laughs) how it actually goes. Um, And that's... I think most of our um, favorite songs been we did like that, mm. but then it do, and then so we could then once we you know we're ready to record we go in the studio and so I suppose it does feel like a slightly different process yeah. because um, we don't tend. I'm just trying to think if this is true. I don't. Yeah, I don't think we kind of, on the whole, uh, alter the songs much in there. Once we're doing the recording, it tends to just be a case of of recording it. We don't kind of go back and change the words or change the no. chords. So they um, are separate. So processes. I guess they are yeah. separate things. Yeah, you know, I guess the opposite of that would be um, for me when working with Kate Tempest, mm. where there there is there's no division at all. I mean, yeah, we just kind of get the beat going, and as soon as the beat's ready, she'll rap on it and yeah. we'll record it. I don't even even save the stuff on the drum machines; I just record it, and then that's really done. Yeah, just I don't track. even know how to save on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so once I've recorded it, then. It's just um, there. it's there, and there's nothing you can do about it. Cool. Normally, it comes out in mono as well, just one track. <laughs> <laughs> well, just from each machine, but then I use about ten drum machines, so oh, you wow. get this multi-track with lots of parts all synced up. Cool. Her rapping on it, but we very rarely we might mix it again later, mm. but um, we very rarely alter the drum pattern, mm. or, and then the drum pattern has most of the sort of musical information in it. You know. Yeah been using a bit of piano on the last record but on the new record either. so that is the opposite scenario because you can't really separate the two at all so when you work with kate is it you do a bit of preparation work before she comes in no no you just no we just sit there and i start wow making beats and because um, her her lyrics are so there's so much depth to them yeah that i, I i've got to assume that she's kind of written because she's she's a poet as well as a a rapper, yeah. So I'm, I've got to assume that there's got to be some sort of gem of an idea outside of the studio that she then brings in and and maybe builds upon. But well, on on everybody down, mm. um, she wrote. We kind of had a, a kind of agreement that we just. Well, it wasn't really an agreement. We just this is the way it worked. Is we mm. just wrote everything um, in each other's company, and we didn't. Wow. She didn't come with any lyrics pre-written. She came with the story in her head. Oh, okay. The story kind of developed. I mean, not we did we'd done a couple of songs before the story really got 
going in her mind and then I remember one day she came to the studio and and just said I've got it this is this is what happened and the whole world had sort of laid yeah. itself out and she explained it to me not even in sequential terms but just who was who and what right. their relationships were because it's quite a complex yeah. story but for some reason we just you know waited till we were in the studio and then it's just really simple I'd make a beat and she would write the rap and then record it and that was it really um the you know i think we're writing at the moment and she's mm. drawing more from from poems that she's got you know she might be she might start something and she'll think oh and and look up a poem that she's working on and take bits you know there's a bit of that but um she she writes very very quickly yeah so is it this album is there a story to it is it like another concept um not it's, that it's a seventies it, prog record, but <laughs> um, yeah, there's 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 a it's not a, like a it's not a, um, a linear narrative. It's lots of points of view of the same in the same. It all happens at the same time. It's different people's idea of what's happening at a particular moment. Ah, okay, so you start on a project, any project. Do you kind of go in with a an idea of of how it's going to go and like well we're going to use this technique on these things and there are bands so we'll record in this way and then you have an idea of what's going on then you stick to it or, or do you find that you're a lot more flexible in your approach to to recording like as and when things happen or depending on material or ideas that someone anyone comes up with that you can just adjust accordingly yeah I like to be quite flexible mm. I think it's quite good to react to things I generally find that if I have worked with someone before and I know exactly what they're good at and what they're not good at and then it's easier to predict how things might go and I might be a bit more focused on one path you know sort of have an idea I think we should try such and such and then really go for it but if I haven't worked with them before I find sometimes it's it's not a good idea to be too fixed on one thing because it just might not suit them mm. and if it doesn't suit them you won't come up with anything good yeah or it's like it just might be difficult or uncomfortable yeah. so yeah it's I'm about adjusting to the people you're working yeah. with at the time do you get inspiration from other producers like are you one of these guys who reads about like the making of records in years gone by and and kind of has ideas from a little bit but i don't i not massively i mean i do mm tend to be quite closed off i don't um i still have this thing with with old music with my favorite records not necessarily old music actually but just with my records that i really like that i enjoy listening to i don't i kind of don't really want to know how they're how they were made okay. because i like experiencing them as one blast of music yeah. and it just it's you know when i was a kid i just used to really like them i didn't really kind of particularly take yep. them apart and um so I've never, yeah, I've never really got into those books that tell you, you know, exactly how they mm-hmm. made such and such a record. But um, I don't know. Maybe I would if I had. I, really <laughs> said, I don't even know if those yeah, books exist. But uh, I mean, the thing, the one thing I do love is the these speakers mm. in the studio because um, that's enough for me to play a, a classic album on those. You can hear so much detail that you can. It's really different from listening on a normal stereo you can really hear every single layer of sound and so if you want to you know um there are certain records that i play on there they still um 
you know, there's certain things I can't get. I, oh, I can't, yeah. can't explain. It's like when I listen to Roots Maneuver, his voice always comes out about a meter in front of the speakers. Really? Yeah, but it's only him. It's that kind of spatial. Yeah, feel I don't know. That was something. Yeah. What what speakers are they? What? Um, Dyn Audio. Lovely looking things. I mean, I haven't heard them. I'll yet, play you the sound later. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear those. So, is there a kind of record that you haven't made yet that you would like to make? Like, I've spoken to people who, like producers and artists, who have said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to make a a record like in." one of those big kind of 60s capital records you know in the mm. the old studio with the big life space and 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 that kind of sound is there a particular type of record that you would like to make that you haven't yet i mean sitting in this studio now and looking at all this equipment and talking to you about your approach to records i can kind of understand why you would never want to leave <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't like going to other studios. I mean, I'd love to go to one of those big studios in America, I guess, just to see what it's like. Mm. But I, I never, whenever I go anywhere else, I think it's just a comfort thing. I know mm. this place so well, and oh, yeah. all the quirks. Um, I never feel I really um, get the best out of myself or whoever I'm with when I go to, you know, big. It's just not serious studio, and I can, well, it's I find I find them slightly intimidating, or to feel like I shouldn't really touch the desk, or I shouldn't sort of move things around, or really, or I mean, I don't know, not literally, but I mean, you, you know, in most big studios, they keep everything out of the room; it's all in cupboards somewhere yeah. else. And so, if you want to use um, the Mellotron, you have to ask for someone to go and get it, and mm. then they. Whereas, as you can see here, I just leave everything out all the time. Yeah. And I don't know. I suppose I could get used to it, but um. But the idea. Don't know. In terms of a type of record, though. Um, have you ever wanted to make a three chord punk record? Or, I mean, have you made a three chord punk record? I, I've well, I'm kind of working on one. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Scotty Brains. It's not quite a three chord punk record, but it's um, it's guitar and drums. You know. Great. But um, that might take a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you know Ollie Baston? No. Um, he's a producer and a writer, and he's. Do you know Boxed In? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and we're friends. And we've got this this side project called Scotty Brains. Ah, cool. I'll, I'll give you a seven inch. Please, yeah. that'd be amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to to hearing that. But yeah. So is, is there a kind of record you you've ever wanted to make? Well, because this goes back to the genre thing. Because yeah, I mean, I suppose I quite like to make a record that was all Swarmatron and vocals. So explain to me what Swarmatron is. I I, so, I am yeah. familiar with the idea of the Swarmatron. So but well, I this don't is the Swarmatron, and it's a uh, an eight oscillator mono synth that that lets you control the the distance, the difference in pitch between the eight oscillators via one control and they start out at all all at the same pitch and as you increase that control they separate from each other um kind of geometrically it's quite hard to explain wow. but basically it sounds a bit like a swarm of bees brilliant if you play it in a certain way but it also um you can make the most beautiful chords that, that as far as i can see that that you could you can possibly make because well, it sounds a bit like a choir, you know, mm. it's not restricted to semitones, you know, so you can make some chords that 
you wouldn't be able to play on a piano. You could you could do them with a choir, but it occupies the space in between notes. Yeah, exactly. But it's also that the the way that it comes, the the way that you come across those chords, they're very. I'm not quite sure what would make you do that in a normal day. What you wouldn't decide, or most I wouldn't decide to play those things. So right. I just, I've kind of learning. It's very hard to control. Well, it's not hard to control, but if you if you said to play a B minor and then play an A major, it would take me ages to figure out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I can learn how to make it sound nice. Given a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, it sounds like quite a surprising instrument. Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to say. But anyway, I think one day I'd like to do a record just with that and vocals. I think it'd be incredible. Wow. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I don't know how many people would like it, but it'd be fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Going back through your catalogue again, I've come across a lot of kind of remixes that you've done that are dub versions of <laughs> yeah. like various tracks. Like there's a Franz Ferdinand dub record. Album, yeah, yeah, the dub album. Uh, called Blood, isn't it? Yeah. Blood, Franz Ferdinand. Um, what is it with with you? Okay, and well, dub? yeah. The the reason for this is that the person that taught me how to make records really was uh, Nick Manassa, um, who's a producer, um, like amazing dub remixer and producer and engineer. Um, and he so when. He, I was, I was in a band once, and he produced the band, and um, he asked me to go to the studio to do some sessions on some reggae tunes. And oh, cool! Um, so I ended up spending quite a lot of time around at his studio in Brixton, um, doing session guitar. But then I'd always ask if I could hang out with him afterwards and uh, watch how he mixed and mm. how he did the rest of his stuff. And we became really good friends. But he taught me how to at that time how to wire up a studio you know what you should do with the mixing desk but it was very dub orientated <laughs> you know it's like well you have to have these echo machines you have to have these reverbs always put, plug them into the channels like this and always <laughs> use them all the time <laughs> so that's just the way i thought you made music <laughs> so everything i did became oh wow um and then i had to rein it in a bit because i would be I'd be doing writing sessions with <laughs> If you ever came in, we'd come out with a kind of dub record. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I twigged that that wasn't how you made pop music. <laughs> but um, it's still, um, the you know, little things like you know what he the the way that he always did it, and I've just carried on doing this is when whenever you do a mix mm. afterwards, you just do a dub mix. So and so I always still do that out of habit. So really, part of the reason that. I've got so many dub mixes just because I do them just, just because it's fun. fun. It's a nice thing to do at the end of the night. Okay, let's just do a crazy one. Yeah. So there's that. And um, yeah, I guess that's it. And I kind of love listening to dub anyway. Because I think it's quite, it's like um, psychedelic music. You know, it's just mm. strange. And yeah. That's what um I like about, I just love strange music and weird sounds. Yeah. So are you someone that looks for space? in a record yeah like you were saying about the Roots Roots Maneuver and how his voice comes a metre out yeah. of the speakers for you is that a, an important thing for you yeah just the spatial feeling yeah. in a record it's funny how you've done a lot of dub stuff and your first recording experience is uh, the Space Echo 
Yeah, it must be connected. Yeah, it all kind of blends in. Yeah, and I used to, it's it's also um, I used to be really scared of reverb. Um, my mum used to play me Good Vibrations. Okay. Beach Boys, and I used to get really frightened, but I used to enjoy the kind of terror. Frightened by what? The, the, the theremin? Or just the theremin, yeah, and the reverb. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was falling yeah. down this black hole. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a a real strong connection to kind of have that kind of uh, actually no having said that i used to get the same kind of fear with records like my dad would yeah, play a, well yeah but you're kind of drawn to that <clears throat> that fear as well yeah definitely mm. what are you listening to now uh what's like on your record player kelly stoltz kelly stoltz still yeah, kelly stoltz yeah, just kelly stoltz yeah nothing but kelly stoltz <laughs> 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 what do you look for in in a record like if you're you're just mucking around on the internet trying to find music to listen to or someone brings you a new record to listen to? What catches your attention? I don't know. It's, it's You know, I was kind of saying to you before about how I, I tend not to study the records that I like. Um, I don't think I look at it like that. I don't sort okay. of look for something in a record. If it just hits me, then yeah. I listen to it again. <laughs> it's well, it's a, kind of simple, you know... Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not kind of. I don't buy records um, in the same way that I might choose who to work with. It's not as analytical as that. No, it's just a, a case of who you like it. Yeah. You like it. Yeah, and then I don't really think. I don't know. Maybe it's. A, maybe I should do, but I try not to analyze it too much. Mm. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dan. <laughs> this is. Uh, this has been incredible. It's been very informative and. Very interesting, oh, so thank you. Oh, thanks for coming. You probably heard Dan mention an instrument called the Swarmatron. After we finished the interview, he demonstrated just how it sounds. So as an added bonus, here is a clip of Dan demonstrating the Swarmatron. Enjoy. Kind of um, illustrates the the connection between harmony and rhythm. Mm. So you can, like, if you um, 
change it to